who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Hey, it's Mae Whitman, and I play Frankie in the new Realm podcast, The Sisters. The Sisters is about a museum curator of medical oddities who investigates the origins of a mutated skeleton with two layers of bones. Soon, she uncovers an extraordinary mystery that connects her present with one family's tragic past in hauntingly dangerous ways. Listen to The Sisters wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Angel on Top, a podcast where we watch and discuss every episode of Angel one by one, spoiler-free and in tandem with our arch-nemesis, Buffering the Vampire Slayer. I'm your co-host, LaToya Ferguson, a.k.a. the Cordelia Chase of the Buffering-verse, a.k.a. Bones, a.k.a. one half of the Gun Squad, Bang Bang, a.k.a. Theodore K. Mullins, a.k.a. Gilly, a.k.a. lover of long-winded bits, AKA 30% that bitch. And I'm your other co host, Morgan Ludich, AKA the Winifred Burkle of the Buffering Verse, AKA also Bones, AKA the other half of the Gun Squad, Bang Bang, AKA Frank Scabopolis, AKA Sorry, AKA also a lover of long winded bits, and AKA barely that bitch. And this week, we are watching Angel Season 3, Episode 12, Provider. Provider was written by Scott Murphy and directed by Bill Norton. It aired on the WB on January 21st, 2002. And this is the one where Angel is in danger of losing sight of the mission when he becomes a money monster trying to raise money for Little Connor's college fund. Previously on Angel. Angel's son is part of the prophecy. Niazian scrolls. This baby will never be born. Whoops, it's born because Darla sacrificed herself. Angel is this baby's only family. Everything and everyone is coming for this baby. Those visions are killing Cordy. Well, not anymore. She's a demon. She's levitating. 
oh yeah, Holt and Justine, they're here also, like a weird Buffy and Giles thing, but bad and not just weird, but because they're bad. Oh, hero walk with the baby. Love it. Thank you. I hope uh, you guys enjoy my um, description of the peas. Since again, they are not on Hulu. Someone has to do it. Shall we get into talking about Provider? What a fun little app. Fun app uh, written by the same writer uh, of Carpe Noctum, by the way. Oh, my God. Again, as I've said before, and I will likely say again, an episode near and dear to my heart. So we got Angel, as you say, being a little money monster. Um, mm-hmm. You know, everyone's favorite reference for a movie they did not see. No, I believe that no one saw Money Monster. If you went to the theater and you bought a ticket to Money Monster, they were like, all right, you got us. We didn't make a movie. This is a trailer. Like, I, I fully believe that. <laughs> um, but yeah, the idea of Angel having to worry about money and, you know, doing things to get it, that is a, a new facet because, you know, we talk a lot about uh, just vampires on television and, and film and how they get their money. Mostly you would think it's like uh, combination of nefarious means and generational wealth, you know, but... Angel, he hasn't been to fairies for a while. This has no generational wealth, really, to speak of. And, you know, he, he has a job, but, like, this is the first time uh, all season there's been a case. And I also think, like, the fact that Connor is a human child means that, like, he will legally have to be a human with a birth certificate and, like, documents and all that kind of thing, which means that Angel will have to, for sure, have all of that kind of stuff to provide for his son and be his son's, like, quote-unquote legal guardian, um, especially with Wolfram Hart around, uh, Wolfram and Hart around being dicks. Um, and I don't know, I, re- I do like the idea of talking about money, um, I know we've talked about like all of Angel's various homes that he's lived in. And so I can buy that maybe he didn't have to pay rent when he was living in the abandoned mansion in Sunnydale. Yeah. But like, now he has expenses. <laughs> I imagine for his original apartment in Sunnydale, he probably did someone a favor and that was how he got that. Because I don't think it was like really an apartment. I think it was like an abandoned, some kind of factory or something that he turned that room into an apartment. <laughs> It truly seemed like a boiler room he put a mattress in. Yeah. What a beautiful place to lose your virginity if you're Buffy. He had nice art. It seemed it seemed really cozy. Like, he'd made it as nice as it could be. His apartment in, in season one, it was, like, under his office space. So he had to have paid for that. Or, again, he could have done a favor. We just don't know about all that. Yeah, or it was just, like, again, like, squatting in a boiler room. Like, I, I, I keep being like, what is... Yeah, I I don't know what his financial deal is, but now, like, David set up all of the stuff with the Hyperion. They are seeming to, like, actually, like, pay for it and finance it, which means that the business has to make money. But now on top of that, got to pay for Notre Dame, which he is very much having his heart set on, Angel. You know how expensive those newfangled diapers are. (laughs) Yeah, the ones without the pins. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, we open with uh, uh, the cutest ceramic piggy bank in the entire world to go with the cutest baby in the world, honestly. That Connor baby, cute. That baby's so cute. And I'm so obsessed with Angel putting a piggy bank in a safe. Like, I, the, the the security at the Hyperion is top notch. <laughs> I am obsessed with Angel truly being, living up to old man Angel and uh, going through the couch cushions in the lobby. 
to find a dollar and 83 cents. And while Angel is running around, uh, you know, grabbing loose change, uh, Fred is building the Angel Investigations website, which she is about to publish. Angel is urging her to make that font bigger and bigger and bigger, uh, Be especially the part of it that says, no case too small. <laughs> because Angel is an old man. He's also a parent. Angel is uh, possibly my mother. Make the font bigger. <laughs> I I have done many a website for my mother where she's always like, make the font bigger, you know. Meanwhile, Cordy is baby talking to little Connor uh, because Cordy is actually holding Connor. Like we see some progression there. Like Angel is allowing everyone else to very comfortably be a part of the baby's life, which yay, A plus, I like. Um, Angel refers to himself as Papa and says Papa's got mouths to feed. Demon Porter is being cute with a baby. I wish I knew yeah. how to quit this man, I gotta say. Uh, yeah, I mean, same. Yeah, he is, again, as as you have said many times, he's looking good this year. And the baby is adding to the very powerful thing that's going on. Um, what if we just don't talk about the episode and just talk about how attractive Dave Boreanaz is for an, an hour or two? We could easily do that, yes. Who needs plot when you've got Dave Boreanaz and Jeffrey Dean Morgan in an episode of television together? Yeah, can we call this provider colon daddies all around? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, but Cordelia Chase is telling Angel, daddy, if you will, that you can't lose sight of the mission, that even though he has mouse to feed, like, she was eating pretty well before, so, like, you don't have to worry about it. And this is where I wrote in my notes, in all caps... Cordelia Chase, of all people, is saying they don't need to worry about the money. It's fine. They just need to make sure they're still helping the helpless and working for the powers, first and foremost. This girl who in the first season's credits is showing off baby's first invoice. Insecure dash Natasha Rothwell dash that's growth dot gif. Hell yes. Truly so proud. We have talked a lot about Cordelia's growth um, over especially the past couple of episodes, but uh, it continues here. Cordy is the moral compass of Angel Investigations. Who would have thunk it? Imagine. I know over in Sunnydale, they probably would laugh at that. And you know what? Who's the moral compass on that show? It's Tara and she moved out. So they don't have that around. Yeah, it's Tara and they barely listen to her or let her talk. (laughs) And that's why we're having fun on Angel on Top, baby. Angel season three, the season that will never hurt us and never let us down. Never make us angry, ever. Speaking of being uh, very happy, I'm happy because Gunn comes in and he has his hands full of all these flyers that he's been putting out. Big yellow angel investigation flyers. Uh, He has put out 6,000. Angel grabs one excitedly and says, I'd call me, wouldn't you? Yes. Yes, we would. (laughs) I'm dying. Um, Then Fred launches the website and Wes says words no one has ever meant. Beautiful. We're online. (laughs) I was like, take it back. Go back. The internet was a mistake, Wes. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to a new era of angel investigations. All we have to do now is wait for that phone to start ringing and the money to start rolling in. (laughs) Because someone's got to clothe and educate and feed this little guy, huh? Yeah. Jesus, that's right. But my, my notes literally is, Boreanaz with this baby, comma, Jesus. As they should be. They are so beautiful together. It's 
like I said, like rewatching season one kind of like in conjunction with doing this podcast, um, I could not believe how little he smiles in it versus how much he smiles in the episodes that we've been watching. And it it makes such a huge difference. What a what a nice smile that man has. And then we cut to a very rainy alley. A guy is running from something spooky behind him. And they keep like juxtaposing it with just the just the gang quietly waiting. This is <laughs> Art. Honestly, Angel Season 3 is art. The, the tactics, they, the directing tactics they're using, it's just, they, they love to play around with the form. Um, this is cinema verite as far as I'm concerned. It fucking, it just fucking rules. It makes Miss me laugh Onsen. so hard. Uh, absolutely Miss Onsen. Um, the cinematography. Um, so the, this guy uh, runs into a phone booth, finds the, you know, the, the, the crumpled flyer and makes the call. He's, he's helpless and he needs help. And um, Wes put the wrong phone number on the flyers. <laughs> he calls a pizza place. We are in split screen between this We're doing poor man. <laughs> split screen. Yes, this poor man, Angel Investigations, and a guy answering a phone at a pizza parlor. Our gang has a little work to do. I, I, I just imagine D- director Artur McGee sees this episode of Angel. Split screen, you say? Let me create the show Fastlane. There will be split screen upon split screen. Even in the scene where two characters are in the same car, the front seat and the passenger seat, we'll do a split screen there because he saw this scene. He saw Fabrizio's pizza and he's like, <laughs> cinema. Look, McGee, admit it. You owe it all to Angel season three. He really, really does. And the thing, <laughs> the thing about Wes putting the wrong phone number is, Besides the online thing, Wes says nothing in this scene. But when Fred points out that this is the, the, the wrong phone number, they all look at Wes, meaning this was Wes's one job. Buddy, aren't you supposed to be the smart one? Come on. This is not a good episode for Wes being the smart one. It is not. It is not great for him. Um, but I love doofus Wes, so I was very happy. So then we're, uh, after the titles, we're back in the Hyperion lobby. We have recalled 6,000 old flyers and put out 6,000 new ones. Oops. Uh, meanwhile, Gunn is making eyes at Fred. And um, they say something about her being cute. And Wes is like, oh, I was talking about the baby. And Gunn is like, oh, I was talking about the hot mama. And, like, Wes is clearly talking about Fred, but he's trying to act like he's not being untoward. So he's like, I'm talking about the baby. It's like, that's that's your problem, Wes. Just admit you're talking about the hot mama. Yeah, it's it's okay to think she's pretty. And, I mean, I get that it's he a- probably still has baggage from Billy. Yeah. But, like, but it's okay to tell your best friend you think she's pretty. Honestly, I mean, like, in the workplace, I guess I wouldn't want my coworker maybe commenting on my appearance. But it doesn't but- count with these people. Like, there's too much blending. You know, it's There's no the – the only one who's separated home life and, like, work life is Lauren. <laughs> Except now boundaries are colliding all over the place. He's, he's still separating. He's not helping one bit until, like, they force him to. But he is living his home life in the middle of their work life. <laughs> I'm not judging Lauren. Like, they just had his club destroyed twice. 100%. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> oh, yeah. We are fully team Lauren over here. Like, L- Lauren actually get is innocent. 
Lauren Innocent, Lauren, tell me where you get your, like, I assume custom-made fitted silk pajamas because they're gorgeous and I would like some. So Angel takes Wes to task for a little bit because, um, you know, making mistakes costs them money. Money is their number one priority, but mm-hmm. also, you know, so is, you know, saving the day. Uh-huh. We got we got a bunch of number one priorities going on. And so is finding Holtz, correct? <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, which is Lauren's job because Lauren has, you know, his contacts in the other world. So, yes. And um, then the barrage of phone calls and emails start. Oh, yeah. Money, 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 money. Money. Then we go to a place where I'm le- much less stoked. We go to Sajan's lair. I'm going to try to say this real quick without being mean. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some people can be mean. I'm going to try to say it without being mean. I understand the lack of Holtz and Justine love. I don't love Justine. I think Holtz, I think Holtz is a good character on paper, at least. I agree. Yeah, uh, Justine. Um, as I've said before, it either goes you 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 do what you wanted to do with Kate, or you cast a completely different type altogether. Mm. And because <laughs> not cutting it, I I will say Keith Sarabica, uh I've seen in uh, other things, and he is uh, always good elsewhere. And, I mean, he's fine here with like what they are wanting him to do. Like it's not like I'm saying what his performance is is bad. I just think that. Mm. The execution obviously leads to questions, uh, as, you, as, you, as you've had, Morgan, obviously. Um, yeah. He was very fun on Supernatural, because of course he was on Supernatural, because who wasn't on Supernatural? We've, I was on Supernatural. I just don't know <laughs> about it. <laughs> oh, you were on the writer's strike season, right? Yeah, I was in the writer's strike season. <laughs> I'm really good on it, so you should check it out. Um, but yeah, I, I, don't, I don't disagree. Like, I, I definitely prefer Holtz to Justine, and I definitely think it's a character that's like born of the sins of Angel's past and, you know, knew the old him, comes back and doesn't care that he's a new him and wants to fight. Like, that is such a valid story to tell. And I think there are moments in it that are great uh but i just think the full blend of like performance execution and writing like doesn't do it ultimately it leaves me like colder than i think they want it to leave me but you know uh, sometimes that happens you have to have justine it has to be god i can't believe i'm saying this an atticus shane bonnie bennett situation where she's a, a younger woman that way the manipulation really really works and again it is, it is like the the mayor and faith like the, that warped watcher slayer thing I, like she doesn't really feel like someone who's being manipulated she kind of feels like someone without direction being like slightly shoved in a certain direction being like okay i guess i'll go this way now like it doesn't seem like she like she doesn't seem to be battling with anything internally yeah. like it, it's weird yeah which is especially necessary um, when essentially Holtz is like forming a cult, as he like when he tells her his director for her at the end of this, like he is forming an uh, an anti vampire cult. I, I, I said before, Elizabeth Brom, say what you will for about her acting at this, uh, even at this point, but at least knowing the character would have helped immensely in this. If, if it's not like a younger actress, should we get into the? Should we talk about uh, Stabby Stabby? He told her to walk away from two vamps, and she she didn't listen. This is where I write in my notes, Justine's a rogue maverick. And then Holtz has a leather jacket. Was that always there? (laughs) 
did they get leather jackets together? See, now I'm starting to think she's rubbing off on him a little bit, which I wish. <laughs> now you like it. Now I'm like, now I like it. Now they're like a little, like, like a weird little odd couple. Like I, if that it's was good the now. vibe, I would like it. I'm just trying to make my own fun over here. Let's just say feeling something is better than feeling nothing. Take it out anytime you like. If you're still here when I return, we'll consider the next phase of our partnership. I unfortunately could not uh, hold back a little eye roll at that part because it's <laughs> it, like just feels, you know, we've seen that kind of thing before. And yeah, she's a cool girl. <laughs> not a regular girl. She's a cool girl. Um, but luckily the scene ends and we go to... <laughs> We go to the Hyperion lobby once again. It's um, popping. It is popping. There are all these monsters in there. Uh, we see Fred struggling with some pronunciation, <laughs> talking to the guys with like with the big crow masks. Do they have names? I refer to them in my notes exclusively as Chrome Boys. Oh wait, are Chrome Boys are like our main villains? Peoples? Yes, they are the Nadras. The Nadras. Okay, yes. That's what he was thinking with Nadja. Not to be sticking with Nadja. So the Nadras, yes, they have they have like crow masks and like spooky robes, and they uh, are are here and they have a job. Um, they, they are here, yeah, and they have a job. Yeah, it's like it's like a car dealership is what is the lobby of the Hyperion right now, which is awesome. It's um, great to see it full because it's such a huge set, and it's yeah. like almost always just like you know the four of them. I am never not impressed by this huge fucking set that they had that they had to, of course, you know, redress in Fredless to be the bus station, which is that's always really funny. Um, but it's it's such a big, beautiful set. The money. I think uh, Charisma told me when I was uh, interviewing her for Slayer Fest that I think the budget was like two million prep. Jesus. Um, so, yeah. So Lorne can speak the Nadras's language and is translating for her and that will be an important point as we move forward the uh chrome boys say they want wes they want his mind <laughs> because apparently they read um his web articles on dna fusion comparison in triped demon populations <laughs> which so wesley is like you wouldn't know it the most interesting character on this show off screen <laughs> like between the baby stuff and this this is what and even his relationship with virginia in season two like he's doing all this amazing stuff off screen yeah truly like what is what what is west doing when he's not on screen i would like to be included meanwhile angel is just so excited he's talking to connor and he's like this is great like if this keeps up we might have to incorporate and i write in my notes call david incorporate i'm like angel on llc twitter when <laughs> <laughs> um angel on twitter trying to figure out what's going what happened with the whole GameStop thing when <laughs> um so cordy however is expressing some concern she's like we're stretched a little thin and, and angel's like no no no, we got it and cordy's like okay if we've got it how about you answer some fucking phones cute <laughs> angel answers the phone and is like how urgent is it oh huh you work at a good company huh you own it and i'm like yeah, one of the first things he says, what do you do for a living? Angel, come on. But also, I just want to note, um, Gunn taking that lady to his office, he's like, it's kind of personal. And that's very sweet. And again, Gunn innocent. Um, gun squad, bang, bang. 
Bang, bang. Uh, yeah, Gunn has uh, never done a thing wrong in his entire life. Um, I refer to uh, the blonde woman that he is, um, that he helps, who I now see on our transcripts name is Allie, but I called her 70s hair in my notes. <laughs> yes, um, literally... <laughs> The 70s feathered hair is part of my notes. I also did not really realize her name was Allie until way deep into the episode. So I'm just like, Farrah Fawcett? Like um, Eric's big sister on that 70s show? Like, truly, <laughs> that's who he looks, that's who she looks like. And I was just it like, is. that's her, right? Like, I know that's not the same actress. And I knew at the time. So, But yeah. it also is her. But it also is her, you know? <laughs> so she is a stalker. It's her boyfriend, but he's dead. <laughs> what? Record scratch. <laughs> her ex-boyfriend, Brian. I knew her his name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we say Brian like eight times, but... But also, <laughs> Gunn says ACAB in the scene. It's like, the cops can't help you unless someone's actually already dead. Yeah, which I was like, fuck yeah, fuck yeah, roast the cops. Um, and I love that. He's like, okay, so your dead boyfriend's stalking you? And she goes, well, I mean... He's not my boyfriend now. <laughs> <laughs> this girl is, uh, she, she's got a lot going on inside of that feathered head, head of hers, honestly. Allie is wild. Allie is kind of petty and very messy, and I'm not against it. <laughs> I respect you know Allie. <laughs> oh, my, as if you don't already know who my fuck watch is. <laughs> Um, so then back in the lobby, we have, uh, Wes, um, we have Wes talking to the Nadras and Lauren is translating and Wes is doing a ton of nerd speak about and, his article. <laughs> yeah. And Lauren, uh, it makes clear that he's, he knows their language ish. He is not 100% fluent. Uh, he says they want to buy your head. Uh, and then he corrects it. Your mind. I mean, you were right first time, homie. <laughs> Oof. This is one of those uh, those stories where you know exactly where it's going to go the second it begins, and that's not a problem. I I know a lot of like I I've seen a lot of things online for people dinging things for being like quote unquote predictable lately, but I think some things are meant to be predicted mm -hmm. and meant to be this just like to give you this horrible sense of dread as every step of it goes forward. Yeah, predictable doesn't mean bad. Like you can do a predictable story and have it like be well written you can also do a predictable story and have it be terribly written that's the difference anyways uh the as the uh the nadras are kind of like eyeing wes and his uh you know big fancy mind we learn that someone else is also pretty smart and that someone is fred <laughs> yes uh reminding us that obviously Fred's these past couple episodes have been like computer person, but like this is definitely Fred's like kind of brains wheelhouse more than I would say Wesley. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like a like a, a geometry, math, shapes, and puzzles. Like that is very Fred. And um, she notices the designs on their robes and says all this like smart geometric sciencey stuff about it um and it was so cute and wes like smiles at her and is clearly very charmed and the nadras are like what did, what did she say what did she say and yeah uh, and lauren's like they want to know why your girlfriend was pointing at them and then wes is all like she's not my girlfriend and here's here's the thing uh, obviously in this episode we we get uh passive aggressive fighting between wes and gun clearly over fred they both realize that they both have intentions 
But the difference is, Gunn is willing to make his intentions clear, and he would not he would not correct them if he were in the same situation. He would be like, she's not my girlfriend. He wouldn't do that at all. Mm-hmm. But Wes keeps being like, oh, I wasn't talking about Fred, or no, she's not my girlfriend, and that's that's the difference. Look, like, if Wes is in denial, like, with himself, he does not, you're right, he does not want to admit his intentions, and ultimately, like... You know, the guy who at, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And um, like, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott, parentheses, Morgan Ludich. And I think that, like, Wes doesn't seem like he is in a space to take the shot anytime soon. Whereas Gunn, shooters shoot. Um, so, uh, Fred goes, did I do something wrong? Because the Nadra's, like, kind of run away. And and Lauren's like, no, no, they liked you. Which, just, Fred, melting my heart at every second. The the most, uh, just too precious for this world. I love her. Yeah, they they needed to go consult their prince. Because they have a prince, the chrome dudes, the Nadra's. Um, (laughs) and Gunn needs Wes's help. And Angel's like, big case gotta run. It's a lot of moving pieces in the scene. It's great. This episode, again, kind of acknowledges, like, or plays with the idea, like, so Angel's still not the leader of, like, Wesley is the boss, but it's still, it's one of those things where Angel's taking charge, he's admonishing Wes for fucking up with a phone number, come on, Wes. Mm -hmm. Like, at at first, when they're like, uh, the Nodgers want to talk to your leader, they think it's, he thinks it's him, Angel does, because Mm -hmm. that's just what... He's the champion. Yeah. At the end of season two, we saw Wes getting more into that leadership role uh, in Pylea. And it feels like he's kind of like, I think, I feel like the Billy stuff really fucked him up and he's taken a step back because of it. I think it's just become a little muddy and a little bit vague because obviously the show is called Angel. Like, it, it's just one of those things where I don't think they're ever going to be able to like fully decentralize him and make you buy it. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we all know what we're watching. We're watching Angel's spinoff. Um, so it, it's interesting, but it, it does feel I mean, like Wes doesn't have a ton of power here. As I've told you before, the show was called Dawson's Creek, but the only cast member in every single episode is Katie Holmes, True. who played Joey Potter, so... Joey's Creek. It's not called Joey's Creek. Joey's Creek. Um, so... Unfortunately, it was never called Pacey's Creek either, but... <laughs> As you mentioned, things are moving really fast. It seems like we're losing a little bit of contact with each other now that there's so much business going on. Things have gotten a little frantic. Everybody is getting maybe a little bit more lax about things than they should be. Like, it's like if we had all five heads on one case, um, I think things would be going very differently than, like, the more diffuse way everything is spread out. But uh, the diffuse way everything is spread out is very fun. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's a fun episode. And, uh, you know, Angel again has no problem with just uh, leaving his baby to Cordy, at least. I mean, everyone else is busy, like, busy, busy, so. Yeah, but but he's like, hey, I think the baby needs a change. Bye! And I'm like, fuck (laughs) you. (laughs) And then... We go to our next scene. We do. Which is for features, uh, I guess, a young Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Jeffrey Dean Morgan's never been young, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean. Like, I believe that he was, like, sprung fully forth as a daddy, but, um, yeah. This season has given us both Chris Palaha and Jeffrey Dean Morgan, both David Boreanaz types, honestly. Mm-hmm. I'm truly surprised John Hamm does not, like, round out <laughs> the, the David Boreanaz types on the season of television. <laughs> But but he did show up in Gilmore Girls as like the most boring man alive. Mm-hmm. I 
I am glad that John Hamm is not on the show because I would not be able to discuss his performance on this show in a way that would be objective or normal. Uh, Do you I think am... I'm going to be able to discuss Jeffrey Dean Morgan on the show in a way that's objective or normal? We're going to find out. <laughs> uh, so uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan seems like he's he's in a power suit. He's talking on a phone headset uh, and he calls Angel Mr. Angel. <laughs> Yeah, he does. He introduces himself as Harlan Elster. And uh, Angel is trying to also be like a big time fancy guy. And he's like, oh, don't worry. I get that you're busy. I know what it's like when your name's on the letterhead. And I'm like, shut up, dweeb. (laughs) (laughs) Get the fuck out of here, bitch. (laughs) Like, just a goof. And then Harlan's like, well, you kind of aren't like what I pictured. Uh, Pretty well quaffed. And I'm just going to put the jingle here. Uh, so what is bi for Boreanaz? And by bi, I mean gay, because this character is gay. Hit the theme song. <laughs> He's got a booty stare and hot spiky hair. If you're straight or gay, your tingly feelings don't care. You're just being honest about this sexy demonic in your bi for Boreanaz. Bi for Boreanaz. So obviously we're talking about Dave Boreanaz types. I, I guess people, there are some people who may not know who Jeffrey Dean Morgan is. I'm confused by who they are, but okay, let's. I'll 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 bite. Um, if you don't know who Jeffrey Dean Morgan is, I guess you have not watched lots of television. You didn't watch any show in 2005 where he was a father who, or just a person who died. Whether he was on Grey's Anatomy and he died and he was having ghost sex with Katherine Heigl, or he's mm-hmm. on Weeds and he he's like, Mary Louise Parker, I love you, and he died. Or he was on Supernatural and he's like, I'm your dad who is bad, but also I die. Yeah, dang. He was dying all over the TV in the, in the mid-aughts. And he's still swinging. He's on The Walking Dead. He's got a baseball bat. He's married to Hillary Burton because Jensen Ackles and his wife, Daniil, who's on Winter Hill with Hillary Burton, fixed them up. Dang. Yeah. I will say, like, we, I, I speak a lot about dead wives and um, how angry I am about that as a very popular plot device to make a man sad and give him purpose. But Jeffrey Dean Morgan has really made... Uh, a name for himself as a dead husband, you know? Oh, wait, I have to correct myself. I'm so sorry. I believe he's actually not the dead husband in P.S. I Love You. He is the replacement for Gerard Butler, who is the dead husband in P.S. I Love You. Oh, okay. So Jeffrey Dean Morgan has a job for Mr. Angel. Uh, He has a nest of vampires that he wants cleaned out. They want $5,000, but on principle... Jeffrey Dean Morgan is willing to pay Angel $10,000 to get him to get rid of all of these vamps. Angel's got dollar signs in his eyes. He's money monstering on a whole nother level. I am really surprised we did not hear a cha-ching sound effect. This is the episode to do it, honestly. And Jeffrey Dean Morgan even asked, you know, whoever heard of a vampire out to make a buck, right? And I gotta say, I know we're doing the feud. It's a whole bit. We don't we don't really hate Kristen and Jenny. Of course not. We could never. We love them. Yeah. But like Angel does bits about a vampire taking money to save people way better than Buffy does, mocking Angel for being a show about a vampire taking money to help people. I'm just like, 
don't like come at the king, honestly, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. True. Um, and also uh Kristen and Jenny, I love you. The uh so he offers Angel ten thousand bucks and he's like, I'll give you five now and five when it's finished. And uh yeah, Angel is truly like high fiving a million angels and he's well, so, so, so excited. So he's writing the check, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. this big check, and uh, apparently this company is on Ocean Avenue <laughs> in Los Angeles, nine zero 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 one. Now, 90001 is Huntington Park. Yeah. Ocean Avenue. What's in Santa, Santa Monica? Monica. <laughs> What's happening here? We were talking about being bi for Boreanaz, but I want to say, I feel like Angel's threw in a little bit of a vibe Jeffrey Dean Morgan's way. Like, he is liking the cut of his jib. Like, it, it is, at the very least, like a I want to be you crush, if uh, not an I want to kiss you on the mouth crush. But, like, something's there, I do want to say. I just imagine uh, the alpha male posturing that was on the set the day Boreanaz and uh, Morgan had a scene together. Like, think about them doing it now in 2021. They're both uh, grizzled veterans mm. of the television screen. They're both uh, silver foxes in their own way. I'm listening. Someone write that fan fiction, please. I'm thinking. <laughs> Uh, so then he leaves and another man comes out of a door behind Jeffrey Dean Morgan and is like, what are you doing in my office? And then Jeffrey Dean Morgan punches him out. So Jeffrey Dean Morgan, I know. Our next scene takes place in Sajan's lair. Justine's taking a little nap on the table that her hand is pinned to by an ice pick. Holtz does something I didn't care for in that he he lays his head down on the table next to hers to have a conversation with her, which I guess is like an attempt to like be eye to eye with her and more of an equal. But for me, I was just like, get some more distance between you two. I don't (laughs) like this. (laughs) Sophie B. Hawkins, as I lay me down, was about this scene, actually. (laughs) What a deep cut I truly don't know what you're talking about, but I respect <laughs> you and I care for you. Felt like springtime on this February morning in the courtyard, birds were singing your praise. All the lesbians are gonna love that cut. <laughs> I'm so happy for all of you guys out there. <laughs> um, so Holtz basically is like, here's the deal. He, you know, unstabs her. And he tells Justine, like, I need you to get more people. Go out and find others like you. People who have suffered as we have. You'll know when you see them. Their eyes will look like this feels. And then he rips the ice pick out of her hand. So this is where I write in my notes in all caps. So helpful! Exclamation point. <laughs> Just go outside and look people in the eyes until in you Los- find a sad one. In Los Angeles! I'm like, bitch, you're gonna see me out on the streets of Los Angeles <laughs> looking sad. And guess who's not gonna help your ass? Me. <laughs> I will give Justine credit uh, for one thing, and it's that she immediately backhands Holtz. And she still like, is working for him and doing his bidding, and she's <sighs> she's such a cool girl. She's very, very cool. Buffering, a rewatch adventure, is sponsored by Care Of. Care Of is a health and wellness company that ships high-quality, personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door every month. 
All you do to get started is take a short, simple online quiz about your lifestyle and health goals, and Care Of will give you doctor-backed recommendations. Their app helps you track how you're feeling and play back insights about your results over time so you can actually adjust your routine as your needs change. It's very cool. My number one health goal in this and every season is keeping my energy at maximum capacity. (laughs) A lot of little tributaries feed into that larger stream and contribute to your energy level. But a really important one is B vitamins. B for bright, for bubbly, for buoyant, for feeling better. B for buffering. I think the vitamin B is working, Jenny. (laughs) I think so, too. For 50% off your first Care Of subscription order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code REWATCH50. That's 50% off your first Care Of subscription order. Just go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code REWATCH50. During Women's History Month, come explore what feminism means to you with nonfiction storytelling podcast Thread the Needle. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I'll use my background in journalism to dive into topics that matter to women today. Listen to Thread the Needle wherever you get your podcasts. Our next scene, Angel's back at the Hyperion. Uh, Everyone's gone. And there's like papers. He says 5,000 smackaroos. Who is this man? (laughs) He's also like... Old man Angel has never been more prevalent than the fact that he's like, isn't this country great? <laughs> I'm like, has a young person ever said those words? <laughs> Just truly loves capitalism. And I'm like, great. He says he wants to show Wes and Gunn the $5,000 check, which is so cute. I need old man Angel to meet Anya and talk about money. Ah, uh, that is a tragedy that they didn't get to hang out like. Anya right now talking to Angel about like how to invest his money and make sure that the money grows into more money. I think that would be really nice. And get David in there and have them all have a little meeting. That'd be cute. I'd like so, that. would be so good. Um, we can have this in our uh, books that we write, uh, mm-hmm. our canon books. Please <laughs> let us write something. Please. They tell Angel that uh, Wes and Gunn are out on this case. And Angel's like, uh, like the gal has money? And I'm like, Jesus, Angel. <laughs> God, remember when we used to help people <laughs> just because they needed help? Come on. But also, I love it. it took him three years to realize that Cordelia was right and she's moved on. Yeah, like she is over being right. But he is now finally caught up with her. Cordelia is like worried about their bandwidth. Like she says something like I was saying before, where it's like working on this many cases at once, like stretching themselves really thin. It might not be the right move. And she's like, what if we're all out making money and some poor devil stumbles in here and needs our help? Cue Lauren walking in. (laughs) (laughs) They should make more devil jokes about Lauren. It's good, actually. Also, I just want to note real quick that uh, Angel, of course, brings up Notre Dame again. Class of 2020. Oof. (laughs) Oof. Uh, Poor Connor. (laughs) That Zoom graduation. (laughs) Angel, it's Angel trying to work Zoom to attend Connor's Zoom graduation. (laughs) So Lauren is um, actually like shit faced. Um, (laughs) He drank a fire water that is used that he used to loosen the tongue of his Garwalk snitch. Yeah, it's like magical fire water where he's both like drunk and high. 
Yeah, because he mentions that there's a bong involved and also chanting. Uh, so he says, yeah, apparently Holtz is really not fond of you. Um, and he had all these grappler demons, but unfortunately he poisoned them. And I'm like, Morgan's yes, R.I.P. Boo, boo, hiss. Very sad. But also, that is actually really good intel. The fact that he already knows that Holtz is trying to like build an, an army of people, like like-minded people. That just happened. So... You know what? Good job, Lauren. Lauren did good. Did he get drunk while doing it? Sure. But like, you know. Who hasn't? Who well, hasn't been drunk doing work? That's how I function. Work hard, play hard. Uh, so then uh, our Chrome boys return. Chrome, and Chrome boys? They are, I love them. Um, Cordy asks Lauren to translate because it's all snap, crackle, and pop to her. And um, Lauren's like, oh, okay, they don't want Wes anymore. They actually want Fred. And I'm like, hell yeah, Fred's a smarty. <laughs> we're, we're like, agree. We, we love Wes. We're, we're, we're pro-Wes. But you know what? Sometimes you need Fred. Fred's down. Uh, Angel's like, yeah, absolutely go. But Lauren, you'll need to be around to translate. Tell them it won't be cheap. They're getting two of our top employees. That's salary per diem. Overtime. <laughs> Money monster. If the movie Money Monster was just like Boreana's as Angel and George Clooney and Julia Roberts, that'd be good to me, actually. That would also be good to me. Then our Chrome boys uh, ask to be forgiven for their paltry offer, which is a suitcase full of cash that amounts to $50,000. They all freak out. Again, the directing is top notch. Angel reach, reaches out, grabs the money, and is like, we accept. Angel's weeks like, I, I should start uh, rewatching the promos before I watch them, but Angels We Accept is 100% in the promo for this episode. Cute. The gang's happy, which you know means they're going to stay happy and that there's going to be no prank element to any of this and that everything's going to go great. Just like season three in general, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, over at Allie, a.k.a. 70s Hair's place, um, Gunn and Wes are guarding her and she's like, you know, like, I consider myself pretty independent. It's hard for me to ask for help, um, but it feels good to have you guys here. You know, that woman you work with is right. You inspire confidence. Which woman? Brunette, really cute, Texan, maybe. Fred. And then they realize they both like Fred. And it's so silly. Like, they are be- they're starting to get so, like, squabbly and territorial with each other. So, like, now the boys are fighting, basically. And I love Wes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we made this clear because, you know, we are the gun squad. I do love Wesley Wyndham Price. Bang, but, yeah. but I feel like he has no leg to stand on. Again, we've talked about how, like, the Billy thing really messed with him. But, like, Gun and Fred just in general interact and hang out more. If anyone, if Fred were to know that either one of them has feelings for her, I don't think she would know that Fred, like, Wesley has feelings for her. I mean, I think she might based on some of the, like, stuff that happened in Billy, like, only, like, but it's not, like, a positive thing. And it's not a thing that they want. They've, like, he has not expressed, like, healthy, normal interest in her. Like, if Mm -hmm. she knows anything, it's, like, tied up in the, like, sadness, guilt, shame, and fear of everything that happened in Billy. And, like, that obviously kind of, like, poisoned the well for Wes, which is, like, I mean. Unfortunately, yeah. It's definitely something you can talk about, but it, like, Wes, like you you aren't in the game like you you have to tell her that you like her 
you know? Gun, like, she knows Gun thinks she's beautiful and that she's so cool. Like, these are things she knows. Gun is also just, like, more of, like, a gregarious person. Like, he, I think he's a person, it's, it's easier for him to do this kind of thing than I think it is for Wesley, who is someone who, like, always gets in his own way when it's time to do stuff like this, because he's, you know, so aggressively British. It's not like Wes is a bad guy or, like, he, like, isn't a viable love interest it's, for anyone. It's just that, exactly. like... Exactly. It's not like... He does have a point where he says, you know, they like, they get the same things, basically. That That is a point. But, again, he's still not in the game because of that. Yeah. I am I am currently um, pretty solidly team uh, Gun and Fred because those two cuties, how am I to live? I mean, we have the most subversive podcast on the planet where, you know, we're Gun Squad, Bang Bang... We want to fuck Boreanaz, which, I mean, people don't admit, but, like, come on. We don't want to fuck David well, People don't want to. Who's, who's out here saying they aren't attracted to David Boreanaz? People, like, people act like they don't want that. They, like, they don't want that Boreanaz. Right. Dido knew, and she acted accordingly when the time came. Okay, guys. <laughs> okay. Uh, we will go down with that ship. Mm-hmm. Dido squad. Dido bang bang. <laughs> Um, but no, I think that, I think that's a fair thing to state out that like Gunn is actually going for it and Wes isn't like, um, Gunn is like laying groundwork and Wes is like looking at a pretty girl from afar and mooning at her, which like, Hey, look, Wes, that was my move for a very long time. So I get it. So the boys, uh, are like, well, we got to determine like what kind of back from the dead, uh, ex-boyfriend stalker we're dealing with, like vampire, zombie, ghost, etc. Um, and luckily the answer is pretty readily available because he shows up and he's a fucking zombie if I've ever seen one. Literally, I wrote my notes, enter Brian, who looks v much like a zombie. <laughs> the, the, the visual language for zombie in, in the Buffyverse is uh, very apparent. Yes, it is. It is not a subtle look, and uh, but it's really fun. And it's fun to have, like, the boys fighting a little zombie, like, and barring the door and stuff. Like, it's good. It's good stuff. It's good stuff for the boys. In our next scene, we go to the barge uh, where the Chrome boys <laughs> live. Lorne is seasick and hungover and not doing well. And then they offer him eyeball and insect hors d'oeuvres. And in keeping with the fact that uh, we are bad at all things French, do you want to know how I spell hors d'oeuvres? <laughs> yes. Um, H-O-R-S-D-E-R-V-S. There's no spaces. There's I, I know there is like an apostrophe somewhere. But no, in my in my mind, it is spelled horse derves, one word. <laughs> horse derves. But I am obsessed. I wish more than anything, um, Lauren and Fred are asked to pose for a picture. And I wish I could have that picture. Because they do, <laughs> do a little pose and they're like, oh, a little picture. Like, I, I wish more than anything I could have that photo and, like, put it on my desk. Because those are two cuties. I love a Lauren and Fred team up because they're both just, like, such sunshiny little sweeties. Like, that is the positive vibes I need. He really likes her. And as he should, because it's... For for Fred also, it's like a familiar kind of thing without being the terribleness of Pylea. Mm. Like she was around Pyleans for so long, and they were all like bad. But like the, the show doesn't go in, a, in you know a typical fashion where she'd be like really apprehensive near him. And so she like she always feels safe around him. Yeah, and I like it's the idea of the bond you have with someone 
when you both got out of the same bad situation together. Like, I I really, I really like that for them. And like, that is, that is something you can be really close with someone about. And they they are both survivors, like of Pylea in a way, which is really like cool and sweet. And it's nice that they are both big enough, like kind enough people to allow that to be like a positive thing for, for them. Like, I think that that, or at least that they feel comfortable enough with each other for that to be a positive thing rather than like a tragic reminder. We are led to the puzzle and uh, Fred immediately is like, oh, of course, and like starts spewing like <laughs> science math nonsense uh, that I could not even begin to understand. <laughs> How lucky is Wesley that he wasn't the one who did this and, and, and like let Gun and Fred have their own mess around with the zombie? Yeah. Then uh, Angel arrives at the nest, and he is clowning on it. Well, in my notes, I wrote in an episode like this, how could you not want to watch Angel the TV series? How could you not want to watch this spinoff? <laughs> Look at him! He is just deeply unimpressed. Like, he finds, like, watches and wallets and purses, and he's like, this fucking sucks. Like, <laughs> not interested. Uh, then... Some of the vampires come back and he starts fighting them. One of them calls dibs on Angel's coat for like once they've defeated him. And I'm like, excuse me, if you dust him, his clothes are going to disappear with that. So that's going to be tough. Right? You got to wrangle a coat off someone before you kill them. That's not going to be easy. <laughs> They're real leprechaun ass bitches looking for treasure. Julia, these are very like scavengery uh, vampires, but um, we know our boy Angel is up to the task. <laughs> and then he goes back to see his, his good buddy Harlan Elster, fellow businessman. Uh, and then the, the real Harlan Elster shows up, being like, "Hey, I'm the real Harlan Elster. Did you really think anyone was named Harlan Elster? Definitely not Jeffrey Dean Morgan." <laughs> Angel is just like feeling bad and feeling duped and it turns out the guy he actually talked to is sam ryan who used to work for Mm -hmm. the real harlan elster he was a press foreman and he got fired six months ago but he kept coming to him to bankroll some kooky scheme and angel's like shit what kooky scheme (laughs) let me tell you about this kooky scheme he wanted me to pay some charlatan ghostbuster to take out these vampires (laughs) uh and ever since he lost his, now the air quotes are even bigger than they've ever been, all caps, friend. Wink. And yeah, it's really sad. Angel's like, well, shit. Like, he tears up the check. He's like, I was duped. Um, and uh, then Elster mentions, yeah, he kept ranting about these, like, immortal creatures living in a rat-infested building, guarding their treasure, whatever. <laughs> and Angel's like, uh, Charles, what now? Treasure? Like, he is treasure? so excited. <laughs> and Angel's back in the dang game. <laughs> He almost uh, started to realize, what am I doing? Nope. And then Treasure was involved. Oh, well. And then we're back on the barge. Yeah, we are. Poor hungover Lorne. He has to go go puke his guts out. Uh, Lorne like, is like heading to the bathroom, but instead he like hears some like spooky talking. And he looks behind a curtain and he sees a bunch of these chrome boys hanging out around an old chrome boy in a prominent chair that I believe we can assume is the prince. Um, 
context clues. They say they they tell their prince they've found a head worthy to rest on your noble shoulders. We will sew it on this very night. I need to talk about the graphics on the laptop. <laughs> this is um art. This is Van Gogh. This is Picasso. This is this is everything. I, I Donatello. Yeah. This is Raphael. <laughs> this is Michelangelo. I was beside myself with like it, they they had a little PowerPoint where Fred's head comes off of her body and it has a little red line on the neck from where you know presumably blood. That's a zigzag. This 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 the cut. That's what the cut is. To which I wrote in my notes this freaking. Pretty Little Liars annotations, <laughs> MS Paint job, and if you know, you know. You know. <laughs> Truly, I I write in my notes the graphics. Oh Lord, the graphics! I was thrilled by this, and I I would like to see more of their presentations. <laughs> Season three of Angel, I have to say, is the peak of comedy in a way that only shows like The Good Wife and Mad Men have achieved. And if you think that is, like, a burn on something, it's not. If you have ever watched The Good Wife or Mad Men, you know those are actually the peak of comedy. If you've watched late season Mad Men, let's talk about how it's one of the best comedies we've ever had. Our next scene is in Wes's office. Courtney is jumping up and down while talking to Connor because it turns out she is trying to float again. Love her. My cutie. My my angel. Um, she is so dang cute. And she's like, seriously though, like I really can, I really can. Uh, and she's telling him all about like how the visions used to be a pain, but now there's a little demon in her. So now the visions are a breeze. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Good for you. I love you. You know, we left off with her like having a little demon in her and floating and we really don't check in with how that's going for her aside from this. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, you've got a weird life ahead of you. And, you know, your dad like is you're not going to see him age, but like he's a really good person. And um, like, it's just really nice. Like Cordy is really seems really comfortable as a piece of this family and she seems really like confident and happy in her own skin and not in conflict about the decision that she made at all aside from you know like fearing that she might get horns (laughs) but um so far that doesn't seem to be a problem (laughs) Uh, but yeah um cordelia can't float but you know what she knows that uh angel is a good man and a champion, and he loves Baby Connor very much. Because look at look at that punum, as you would yeah, say. Yeah, look at that cute little punum. Uh, um, a beautiful baby, a beautiful family. I am happy. Um, our next Morgan. Um, did you cry at the end scene? By the way, <laughs> me? What? No, I definitely didn't cry. At all. <laughs> I never cried. I've never cried in my entire life. So, <laughs> so yeah, I didn't start yesterday when I watched this episode. <laughs> No, I, yeah, I teared up. I got very emotional. It was too much for me, for my little heart to and take. I, and I warned oh, you. Oh, you did. And I was still not prepared. Um, <laughs> our next scene takes place in the nest. I write in my notes, 
hi, JDM, and then parentheses, drools. So that's how I'm doing. <laughs> oh, do you want to know what my notes say? The nest. JDM's dimples as Angel has him. Give it back. Uh, I think I've earned it, don't you? What is it? Rolex? Timex. Huh. What is it, really? <laughs> Considering all the trouble you went through to get it, we both know it's not just a watch. That's true, it's not. Probably worth more than ten grand, too. A lot more. What's it do? Open a portal? Raise an army? Glows in the dark. Probably about all it'll do now. Looks like they cracked it when they took it off him. I told him to let him have it, but he wasn't about to give it up. That was the first thing I ever bought him. These vampires killed your friend. Yes, his friend. His friend. I mean, I've I've been telling you for ages mm-hmm. that this is what we're getting. And do you agree with me that uh, Sam Ryan is a gay man? I honestly, well, I'll be I'll be honest. I did not read it as gay. I thought it was going to be revealed that it was his son and it was going to be like a provider, like thematic. Like it was. Oh, wow. His his large adult son, huh, Morgan? You can't believe a man can be gay. I thought he'd had like a a kid. He bought a little watch. Like the first thing he ever bought. Like, I don't know. Like that's what, but you know, they don't reveal that it's that. It totally tracks that. Like it's like a queer narrative. I'm in, I'm in favor. I just, at first I was just like, I had my, my theme cap on and I was like, ah, provider. Um, Angel uh, is working on doing stuff for his son. He's going to meet someone who lost his son. Um, And the, no, not like that new thing which is good because not everything needs to be one-to-one <laughs> um it's actually a lot of things are better when they are not one-to-one because nothing in life is ever one-to-one so when it always is in tv it's usually a little annoying <laughs> the only time it ever really works when it's one-to-one is in the oc and that's it everything else should stop <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh angel's like uh angel's mad and he's like you lied to me and Sam says he's sorry. And he's like, look, I didn't kill three vampires for nothing. Like, give me 10 grand. And Sam says seven. And Angel says, okay, fine. I'll take seven. And he goes, no, no, no. You said three <laughs> vampires. There were seven. <laughs> this is the the worst vampire nest cult ever. It took seven of them to get this dude's Timex watch that glows in the dark and kill him. Embarrassing. I, I I love Angel, obviously. Mm. He uh, he's, he's a good kid. I want Angelus back just to, like, teach these whippersnappers <laughs> what to do in life. They're, they're all pathetic. Darla's dead now. Okay. Drusilla, who knows what Drusilla is doing, honestly. She just, she's just Drusilla in all over the place. She's like uh, evil, eat, pray, loving across the world. <laughs> yes, hot, good. So um, our next scene... We have Cordy. She's still talking to Connor. And um, she, I need to talk about what she does, which is she holds up a bunch of money next to her face and peers down into the bassinet. And when I saw this, all I could think of were those old like posts that you'd see like on Twitter or like MySpace where it's like, you've arrived at the money, Cordy. Like, please, like, RT, and then you will be blessed with, like, finding a bunch of money in your life. Truly, the image of her holding cash and smiling at a baby has such good energy for me, and I like it. 
the only thing this episode is really missing is um, a 90s style rap music video where they're all like dancing and posing with the money. <laughs> so over at the barge, Fred is almost done with the puzzle. Um, and she does not know that she shouldn't be doing that. Whoops. Meanwhile, over at Allie's, which I again have in my notes as 70s house, Allie's starting to get annoyed. She's like, can you guys like wrap it the fuck up? Allie? I have plans. And Wes is like, her name should be Karen or whatever is the 70s equivalent Truly. of Karen. And um, it turns out uh, while Wes and Gunn thought they had every entrance covered, they missed the skylight in the kitchen, which I'm like, Allie is a nice place if she's got a kitchen skylight. Also, like, Angel the series, like, never met a skylight. They didn't want someone to crash through, <laughs> as later <laughs> is proved in the episode. Gun hits him with a baseball bat, and they run for the bedroom, and they're all barricading themselves in. So then we see Cordy, like, at the Hyperion, and she's calling them, and she tells Connor that Uncle Wes and Uncle Gun aren't picking up, and your daddy doesn't know how to work his voicemail, so we'll have to go <laughs> down to the marina, return the money, and explain it was all just a big mistake. <laughs> so then, back at 70's house, Brian is like, why won't you talk to me, baby? And Allie's like, this is why I broke, like, I broke up with you, because you're suffocating me. Now get lost. It works because Brian like immediately walks away and stops pounding on the door and goes into the living room just to sit by himself and pout. And it, I feel really bad for him. I feel bad for him, but for the reason that she is the one who poisoned yeah. him. Like, this is this whole plot is a weird like my boyfriend's back slash some assembly requires less the Zeppo thing. This sh- these shows and zombies. I'm going to say zombies aren't their strong suit. They seem to kind of only have a comedy take on zombies, which I think is kind of fair because... Or um, an A-cab yes. take. A Sean Ryan yes, A-cab fair. take. Um, and I don't know. It's interesting. The idea is that like we reveal that like she's the one who poisoned him in the first place. And he is... Like, tr- he's not letting her go because he's like, you're not happy. Like, all these people that you've dated after me, like, they aren't making you happy. You're not having any fun. And um, these two crazy kids, looks like they're going to get back together. <laughs> and Wes and Gunn look at each other like, and what the fuck? <laughs> they do not call the cops because they are not snitches. But they do want to know if this will be yep. cash or charge. <laughs> she murdered this man. And he- I guess she's... Because I, I think she probably got, like, a mystical mm-hmm. poison, and that's probably what turned him into a zombie, not realizing it would turn probably. him into a zombie. So back at the nest, Angel is across the room just sitting there because if he doesn't get paid, he doesn't fight. <laughs> okay. You know what? I'll help barricade, but that's it. This bitch won't freelance. <laughs> and you know what? <laughs> I agree. Sitting over on the barge. Fred finishes solving the puzzle and like she slides the last piece into the like glass pyramid thing and it glows and the nodras around her are all like, woo, yay, cool, cool, cool. And Fred's like, oh, it was nothing. <laughs> She's so cute. And, and here's where I note that if you watch uh, the Angel Season 3, three gag reel, uh, when she finishes the puzzle, the nodras uh, pull a Macarena like uh, Dr. Evil <laughs> from Austin Powers. It's very that funny. Is so cute. They take her into another room and she sees Lorne tied on the ground. Lorne's like, look, um, we're in a bit of a situation. I'll admit it. <laughs> Fred is so worried. She sees the old Chrome Prince and says, I don't have to marry him, do I? 
the princes just wear out their heads every once in a while, so they have to get new ones. Um, they So they put Fred in this thing, this, like, manacle, and they there's this moment where they, like, remove her pigtails from inside the manacle so that they can, like, more cleanly chop off her head, and it made me scream. I couldn't handle it. I, I'm too worried about her. She's too precious and too dear. Luckily, Cordy shows up. She would like a word. <laughs> a sentence, even. And you know what? It would have gone well, I think. If not for the fact that Lorne believed the boys were all in tow as backup. So Lorne, from his vantage point on the floor, can only see Cordy and assumes that the guys are there and is like, you better watch out because you're surrounded by warriors and like they're going to fucking kill you. <laughs> Our next scene is back in the nest. Angel does decide to help. He says that barricading is complimentary. Sam's like, I can't leave. These things killed Jack. If I run now, I'll run for the rest of my life. And Angel's like, do you really think Jack would want you to, like, die? And he says, no, I think he'd probably want to be here with me. But that's never going to happen. Still think it's his son, Morgan, you homophobe? (sighs) No, I think it's his boyfriend. (laughs) And Angel's like, ah, fuck it. You take on a job in good faith. You expect to be compensated. You provide the best service you can offer. You know, quality service. But you know, there's overhead. There's rent. Three phone lines. Advertising. It adds up. I think that this would make a perfect Angel Investigations commercial. He can't resist being a champion. He really can't. Like he, as much as he has become a money monster this episode and as much as he wants to provide for Connor, you know, he can't do it. He can't leave this guy in the lurch, this guy who seems nice enough and is just like, you know, being reactive in the face of an awful loss. So our guy's still in there. (laughs) Jamie Borgana is talented. I mean, I I always feel weird because... Obviously, people give him shit because he can't do an Irish accent, which, again, is better than Holtz's British accent. That is um, canon. It's also better than Sarah Michelle Gellar's British accent. Uh, that is also canon. One of the reasons I love Angel so much is, like, I'm not saying that David Warren is, is a better actor than Sarah Michelle Gellar. I'm not a crazy person. I'm just saying he is a very talented in his own right, and he gets to show so many shades of that talent yeah, he's here. great. He's a pro. And, like, yeah. With Bones... Bones is technically a two-hander, but, like, he is, like, secondary. Because, again, he is not Bones. Bones is the girl. Because Bones is the feminism. And then Angel, of course, cannot leave the scene remaining cool because he immediately loudly struggles to use his voicemail. (laughs) Old man Angel, baby! (laughs) Uh, I I love just Sam being like, I owe you, you're a real champion! And he's he's like, oh, fuck. Damn, newfangled technology. And he's like, I think that's your voicemail. Ugh. And it's at this point, I think it's, I think we've seen mm-hmm. everyone we need to see. So we should talk about yeah. who we want to fuck. Flirting, understanding, consent, and kissing. Flirting, understanding, consent, and kissing. Fuck watch. Uh, I want to fuck Jeffrey Dean Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Like, 
my notes. Fuck watch colon. Gay JDM. I, I hope guess. he's bi. I hope that he would be open to the overture that I would make. I hope that he is, you know, bi plus and open to, uh, you know, fucking me. It's it's also amazing because he's the least hot Jeffrey Dean Morgan has ever been. And yet still, I'm like, truly, give me that Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I'm so sorry to interrupt you in the middle of your fuck watch, but Morgan, did you just refer to yourself as an overture? I said I would I'd be making an over my overture that I would make to like I'd make a little like my my little my pass, you know? Like when I shoot my shot, I hope he wouldn't be like, oh, no thanks. Because you know, that's not what you want. Like I hope that he would be amenable to my decent proposal. Got it. Cool. Well, I'll see myself out. And in case you were wondering, I'll take uh, JDM's dead boyfriend for my <laughs> fuck watch. Thank you very much. Congrats. Played by Gerard Butler. <laughs> <laughs> So then back at the barge, uh, Cordy asks Lorne if uh, the Chrome boys have groins. And he says he doesn't know because he never has known one intimately. Uh, Cordy uh, kicks one of them in the crotch and um, hurts her foot because it makes a loud Chrome sound because someone saw Wild Wild West. (laughs) (laughs) She stumbles backwards and trips through a curtain and then is immediately pulled out through the curtain by Gunn and Wes in a lovely visual flourish. I would like this gif, please. It would please me to no end to watch it repeat over and over again because this is so dang cute and charming. The boys say Fred and she's like, I could kiss you. And they're like, okay. (laughs) Oh, the boys. And then they both kill the prince. And, I mean, Morgan, I feel like this is what I you mean, should say. I mean, I mean, but, but just the thing is, I don't think like Gunn or Wes would be interested in being in a thruple with each other. I, I just don't think that's a component of their friendship. I don't think that is a boundary <laughs> they're cool with crossing. I also don't think that Fred's yeah, into Fred a thruple either. Does not strike me as a as a person who really wants to be in a thruple. Fred also clearly likes one of these boys. <laughs> Sorry, Wes. Sorry, Wes. You're lovely. This is where the knives come out because yeah. we've made it clear. Our allegiance how we is feel. in a very specific place. Bang, bang. Angel, uh, you know, comes through the skylight, saves everybody, and then we return post fight. We're still, we're all hanging out, and Angel's like, Cordelia, I should have listened to you. Like, my bad. What? Guys, can I say something? Money's important, but it it isn't everything. I got I got carried away. I just never had a life that was totally dependent on me before. But that's no excuse. Where was I? Money's not the most important. No, it's not. What's in Important is family. And the mission. The 
speech kind of loses a little bit of its shine and its moral clarity when you uh, understand that he is just staring at the big suitcase of money. (laughs) I love it. And he looks to Cordy, the moral compass of the group, and she says they tried to cut off Fred's head. We earn every penny. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck yes, because sometimes you just got to take the money. Suck Um, it, Scoobies. (laughs) Then our final scene is in Angel's room. Um, so my notes are all caps for the scene. Would you like me to read this sentence? Please. Angel and Cordy in bed feeding Connor and falling asleep together and talking future boat plans and ski condos and chipmunk robots on ice. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, there's, there isn't much more to say. They're just so beautiful and charming and... You know, they're feeding Connor. Cordy sings. Um, she wants a she wants a what does she want? She wants a boat. Um, and Angel's like, what would I do with a boat? And she says, Moonlight sails <laughs> while she's sleepy, and something about it is the most charming thing in the world to me, and I just wanted to burst into tears forever. They're um, both falling asleep and she's feeding Connor and the Uh, See, we are not um, discreet with um, who we are shipping on the show. No, we are not, nor should we be. And they fall asleep in bed next to each other, and they're a little family, and it's sweet. And that's Provider. Just imagine. Imagine youthful me, me as a child. Imagine... Let's see, I wasn't even 14 yet. 13-year-old me. Oh, my God. Watching this episode of television. How'd you live? <laughs> I didn't. Fair enough. <laughs> now, speaking of you watching the WB at age 13, is there an episode of a WB series you might recommend to a certain brooding vampire? What a great transition, Morgan. Thank you for being the one to start it. <laughs> Hit the music. They got that hot teen drama to ease the pain and trauma. And here's the episode that he needs to see. I scoured the WB 20 minutes before we were originally supposed to record this episode. I knew I would be thirsting over Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I know... Yeah. You now. Yeah, it is. Also thirsty over Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I feel... And with the concept of what we were watching about Angel and the mission and the money, how do we deal? How mm. do we deal? How do we focus? So I feel like we have to do the only season of Supernatural that was on the WB, which is Supernatural Season 1, Episode 2. Wendigo! Called? Wendigo! <laughs> I know you know that one, which of course has the famous speech from Jensen Ackles, who plays Dean Winchester, of course, the son of Jeffrey Dean Morgan's Mm -hmm. Papa Winchester, where he says, you know, the family business, saving people, hunting things. So they're looking for their dad, John Winchester, played by... Uh, Wow, in my recollection, I think think that was played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan? Full circle, full circle, full circle. Yeah, baby. So, you know, the Winchester boys have learned they're on a mission, and they are on this mission. 
And it's it's good. Uh, Jeffrey D. Morgan is not actually in the episode, but the spirit of Jeffrey D. Morgan is there. And again, they are on a mission to help Jeffrey D. Morgan, much like this episode of television. And you could watch them and be like, this is what happens when you raise children in this lifestyle. And maybe you should be better and probably retire because they're fucked up, these children, actually. Um, you should um, just become a CPA angel and be safe and don't help people and forget the powers. That's There's the actually a lesson you should in, learn. Uh, in early supernatural for, for Angel to learn. I'm in. I, I fully agree with this. And there you go. WB. They got that hot teen drama to ease the pain and trauma. And here's the episode that he needs to see. Oh, yeah. All right. So, uh, in terms of plugs, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Angel on Top Cast. Uh, you can visit angelontop.com, uh, which will redirect you to our Patreon, where we're doing fun stuff. Uh, we have a new little movie watch podcast. So, we've already done a Down with Love episode. April's episode is going to be Legally Blonde with me and Jetty Owen Youngs. Uh, she has never seen it. We will be correcting this. And you can email us if you would like to at angelontoppodcast at gmail.com. Also, uh, if you want to f- listen to me and LaToya talk about different fictional vampires, you can listen to our podcast, The Empire Diaries, wherever you get your pods. Our next episode is some some episode called Waiting in the Wings. I don't know. It's it's probably not a big deal, right? Sounds boring. Yeah. Sounds... I'm sure no one's ever talked about it. I'm sure people don't like that episode even. It To me, it doesn't sound like it'll be sexy in any way. And that's why I kind of, I'm not interested. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, the podcast that explores the world through a personal, intersectional feminist perspective. I bring you two episodes a week. Every Monday, I cover something from a wide variety of topics, covering everything from feminist faves throughout history like Audre Lorde, listener coming out stories, and other hot button topics like toxic masculinity and the Me Too movement as well as plenty feminist history, the good and the controversial. And then every Friday, I bring you a mini What's in the News episode to keep you up to date with everything that's going on today in the world. And with over 580 episodes available to you right now, there's plenty of good stuff to listen to. You can listen to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rage on. Bye. Bye.